Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today's class is an analysis of the Four Noble Truths. It follows um, our introduction, our look at dependent origination. Um, <coughs> we spent a couple classes on that because that's the foundation of everything that the Buddha taught, and it's what the Buddha awakened to. Um, uh, then we looked at the Adita Pariyasutta, where the Buddha teaches the importance of looking for understanding where understanding can be found, and recognizing where it can't be found and abandoning those types of searches. And really what that relates to is practicing an authentic Dhamma or not. Um, and then we looked at the Kula Sakaka Sutta, where uh, the Buddha uh, teaches Sakaka the importance of recognizing and practicing um, his simple and direct uh, Dhamma practice, uh, and that it's not generic, that it's fearless, meaning that if there's any fear around your Dhamma practice, that's a sign that you aren't incorporating it properly, um, and that it's independent. And that, that statement by the Buddha was a declaration back then and continues uh, 2,600 years later, uh, stating that his Dhamma is independent of all other Dhammas. And that was true during the Buddha's time, and from my experience, it's still true today. Um, okay, this is the Sakavabhanga Sutta, an analysis of the Four Noble Truths. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at the deer park in Isipatana. He addressed those gathered. Friends, it was here that I set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma. So again, the first line carries so much information, and this does. Excuse me for a minute. Um, this does immediately as it relates to modern Buddhism. Modern Buddhism talks about the three wheels of, uh, of setting the truth in motion. Uh, and the, the Buddha never talked about three wheels of Dharma. Uh, he only set one wheel in motion, and that is the wheel of the Four Noble Truths. So uh, the reason why I'm saying this is if you're into other modern Buddhist practices and you hear something about the, 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 the triple lineage is sometimes how it's uh, expressed, uh, you know that that's something that has been adapted and accommodated. The Buddha taught one wheel of Dharma. The Buddha continues, My Dhamma cannot be corrupted by Brahman, Devas, Maras, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. It cannot be corrupted. That doesn't mean that people won't attempt to do it, whether it's uh, directly or inadvertently. No one can corrupt the revelation, the declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teachings of Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth is a noble truth of stress and suffering. The second noble truth is the noble truth of the origination of stress and suffering, dukkha. The third noble truth is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and the fourth noble truth is the truth of the Eightfold Path, leading to the cessation of stress and suffering of, the, of dukkha. Um, the truths are noble truths because they relate directly to developing the Dhamma. It doesn't mean that other things aren't true. It's a beautiful day here in Frenchtown, the sky is blue. That's true. But it's not a noble, noble truth because it has no relevance to the Dhamma. And every other so-called phenomenal truth is that way. It's not a noble truth. It may be true, but it's not something we should cling to uh, as an aspect of Dhamma practice, no matter how relevant it might seem, because that's just an aspect of ignorance. The Dhamma is very clear and direct. Friends, associate with wise disciples such as Sariputta and Moggallana, two of the um, very early members of the Sangha. Sariputta and Moggallana are well-trained, focused, wise, and sympathetic to those developing a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. That line never meant much, much to me until later in uh, my understanding of the Buddha's Dhamma. Um, almost as an obvious statement, and so why did the Buddha say it? But I've, I've grown to learn that those obvious statements are usually the most uh, significant. So this line about being sympathetic, to me that was kind of like a throwaway line initially, that of course we're all sympathetic to others, we're all compassionate, we all love each other, we all want everybody to get it. But what I didn't understand is I may have those, that inclination, but without right understanding, I can't do anything about helping others. 
And so what the Buddha is saying, if, if we truly have sympathy, and I would use the word empathy also for others, we'll take to the Dhamma and awaken, because then we can affect real change in ourselves and so uh, support real change in the world. It's the only way it's going to happen. Saraputta is like a mother giving birth, and Moggallana is like a nurse that attends to the baby. Um, eh, I don't want to comment away the whole class. Saraputta trains others in developing the Dhamma, Moggallana, to the highest culmination. Saraputta is able to declare, teach, describe, set forth, reveal, explain, and make plain the Four Noble Truths in detail. That's also important, especially making it plain. Having said these words, the Buddha left for the days abiding. Saraputta then addressed those gathered. Friends, it was here that the Tathagata, meaning the Buddha, set, set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma. This Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahman, Deva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. No one can, no one can corrupt the revelation, declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teachings of Four Noble Truths. And then he goes over the Four Noble Truths. Friends, what is the noble truth of stress and suffering? Birth is stressful, stress, stress, sickness is stressful, aging is stressful, death is stressful, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair are all stressful. When I'm using the word stressful, I'm referring to dukkha. Not getting what is desired is stressful, Receiving what is undesired is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. And what is birth? Whatever takes birth. Now, the Buddha is talking not about a physical birth. He's talking about giving birth to another moment that is framed by a mind rooted in ignorance. And what is birth? Whatever takes birth. So any inclination towards maintaining my own ignorance is what will take birth if my mind is rooted in ignorance and clinging to those fabricated views. And what is birth? Whatever takes birth, the descent, the coming to be, the coming forth. So let me just say that in a slightly different way. And what is birth? Whatever takes birth from ignorance, the descent of ignorance, the coming to be of ignorance, the coming forth of ignorance, the arising of ignorance as described as five clinging aggregates, the fabrication of ignorance and the fabrication of sensuous realms of diverse beings, the fabrication of sensuous realms of diverse beings. It's another, another way of saying, stay out of speculative, mystical, and magical dharmas. They're all part of the fabrication of sensuous realms of, of, of divergent being, diverse beings. That whole thing is called birth. The whole um, inspiration and manifestation of ignorance is also dukkha. That is called birth. And what is aging? Aging is decrepitude, uh, the brokenness, the graying, the wrinkling, the decline of life force, the diminishing of mental faculties of diverse beings, meaning everyone. This is called aging. So what does it mean? Why is this significant? And why is it significant in relation to four noble truths? Because the Buddhist, the Buddhist teaching everyone that's listening that it is a common occurrence for human beings to age. There's nothing, uh, there, there, there's nothing special or spectacular or significant about it. As a consequence of giving birth, you're going to age. Don't take it personally. And what is death? Death is the passing away, the breaking up, the disappearance, the completion of time. An important line. The casting off of the body, the interruption of the life faculty, the, and the dissolution of the five clinging aggregates of diverse beings. This is called death. Another, another, another common occurrence of life that the Buddha is pointing out is just that. It's a common occurrence of life. Don't be distracted by your own death. It occurs to everyone, but it, can, it is immediate. It's an immediate teaching. Death occurs to everyone um, without warning. It can occur at any time. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. That's what we should be remembering moment by moment in our life so that we free ourselves of the bond of eye-making and free ourselves from the bond of giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. And what is sorrow? Sorrow is sadness. Um, and what is sorrow? Sorrow is sadness. This suffering of misfortune and being touched by pain, this is called sorrow. And what is regret? Regret is the grieving, the crying, the weeping, the wailing, the regret of suffering from misfortune, of being touched by pain. This is called regret. And we all do it. Why is the Buddha teaching? He's telling us not to do it. 
Why? Because it occurs to everyone. Don't take anything that the Buddha just described there in a personal way because it happens to everyone. And what is pain? Pain is bodily pain uh, and discomfort. Uh, pain or discomfort from the body. This is called pain. And what is distress? Distress is mental pain and mental discomfort. Pain or discomfort from mental contact. This is called distress. And what is despair? Despair is, dis- is despondency and and desperation of anyone suffering from misfortune or touched by a painful thing. This is called despair. And what is the stress of not getting what is desired? In those beings subject to birth, the wish arises, may I not be subject to birth? May birth not come to me? Wishing does not bring cessation. Wishing and anything that is attached to wishing, which would um, develop a speculative or magical or mystical notion of where I'm going in my own mind. That's wishing. And of course it is, isn't it? Wishing is, is hoping for something to happen that has not yet happened and is framed by a fabrication. That's wishing. It can only create further stress and suffering. Because for one thing, once we wish for something, we are, we're going to do one of two things. We're going to immediately disappoint ourselves by saying, ah, nothing good ever happens to me. Or we're going to decide that I'm so wonderful or I've suffered so much that I deserve this thing that I just imagined and we'll hold on to it for a set period of time, maybe until tomorrow when they, then they draw the numbers and I realize that ah, I didn't win the lottery again. That's how it works. So wishing for something is just a setup for, for creating stress and, um, and ongoing distraction in my own life. Wishing does not bring cessation. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. So I can also desire awakening or desire release from stress and suffering all I want and create all kinds of powerful and subtle strategies to do so. But all that I'm doing is continuing ignorance of four noble truths unless it's well framed by the Eightfold Path. That is kind of the essence of the last three classes that we've been taking here in the study. Furthermore, in uninformed human beings themselves subject to birth sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair, the wish arises, oh, may I not be subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. May I not befall, may these, these not befall me. These things are not avoided by wishing. So again, the things that every human being decides they shouldn't experience because of taking things personally the Buddha recognized that 2,600 years ago in his brilliance and said, don't do it. Stop taking yourself personally. The entire Dhamma is, is geared towards that, to recognizing and abandoning eye-making or taking things personally. These things are not avoided by wishing. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. The results of continued grasping after continued establishment of a fabricated view of self clinging to any impermanent phenomena, including the fabricated phenomena of external realms and the fabricated belief of salvific interve- intervention of beings from external imaginary realms and what is referred to. Wishing to avoid any experience that is determined by simply having a human life is rooted in self-referential wrong views. Anytime we wish for any experience other than a human experience, and I would say any other, anything other than a human experience that we can experience right here and right now is a fabrication. But that's not something we should become overly focused on. In other words, we shouldn't be constantly questioning ourselves, is this fabricated or is it not? That's what, that's what the Eightfold Path and integrating the Eightfold Path is about. Or we can become, we can even become distracted by the Dhamma by becoming too uh, micro-focused over this. It's simply enough of integrating the Eightfold Path, developing a well-concentrated mind, and then being mindful of right speech, right action, right livelihood, because that is what will reveal the contents of what we're holding in mind. Remember that. Refined mindfulness. We've talked about that, too. And what are the five clinging aggregates? That continues stress. The clinging form, or the clinging form aggregate, the form aggregate. The clinging to feeling aggregate, the clinging to perception aggregate, aggregate, the clinging to fabrication aggregate, and the clinging to consciousness aggregate. So we're composed of these five separate aggregates that cling these components of ourselves into one thing that we use to describe ourselves. They are all separate and disparate entities. 
But from a mind rooted in ignorance, we say, this is me. Five clinging aggregates. This is what I am. We say, these are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress. This, friends, is the noble truth of stress. And what is the noble truth of the origination of stress? The very craving that makes for further, for further becoming, for, for further ignorance. For craving for and clinging to passion and delight over the things of this world, over the phenomenal temporary things, entranced here and there with craving for sensuality, craving for continued becoming, craving for non-becoming, establishment in a non-physical realm. This is called the noble truth of the origination of stress. And notice how often the Buddha includes that reference to craving for some type of non-physical existence. It was so common during the Buddha's time it was taught in all of the major spiritual uh, disciplines slash religions, and it, that is exactly the same today. I have yet to come across a so-called modern spiritual or religious discipline, including the ones that claim to be nature-based, that aren't rooted in speculation and mysticism and magic. I'll continue. And they can only contri- continue stress according to an awakened human being. And what, friends, is the noble truth of the cessation of stress the renunciation, the relinquishment, the release, the letting go, the remainderless fading away and complete cessation of craving, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. This is called the noble truth of the cessation of stress. The noble truth of the cessation of stress. It's the complete cessation of craving, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So again, this, the resolution is understanding four noble truths. Then there's nothing to crave for. And what is the noble truth of the path of Dhamma practice that leads directly to the cessation of stress? This path is a noble eightfold path. Right view, right intention. Let me read, read what it is. Right view is a knowledge with regards to stress, knowledge with regards to the origination of stress, knowledge with regards to the cessation of stress, and knowledge with regards to the eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. When the Buddha is using the term knowledge, he's also using the term understanding, but he's also talking about having a direct experience of the Dhamma. It's not just an intellectual uh, grasping of it. It, It's a direct experience of it. Right intention is maintaining mindfulness of the intention for the renunciation, uh, for freedom from ill will, for harmlessness, for cessation. This is right intention. Right speech is abstaining from lying, abstaining from divisive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, and abstaining from gossip uh, and idle chatter. This is called right speech. Right action is abstaining from taking life, abstaining from from stealing, abstaining from sexual misconduct. This is right action. Right livelihood is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has abandoned dishonest livelihood and provides provides for themselves with honesty. This is right livelihood. Right effort is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones generates the skillful desire who is persistent, who remains mindful of the intent for the non-arising of unskillful qualities that have yet arisen, who remains mindful of their intent for for the abandoning of unskillful qualities that have arisen, and who remains mindful maintaining for maintaining non-confusion and increasing developing the culmination of skillful qualities that have yet arisen. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the body in and of itself. That line is another key to the Dhamma. It's a key to this idea of uh, not going into speculative and non-physical realms. The body in and of itself. What does it mean? It means the body just as it is, without any embellishment, with any, any adaptation, any, any accommodation, any false view of this form. They remain mindful of the body in and of itself. While remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. In order to remain ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside greed and distress in reference to the world, we need to develop one quality. What quality is it? Does anybody want to answer? Please answer. You can answer online too. What quality that has to be developed in order to remain ardent, alert, and mindful while we put aside greed and distress in reference to the world? A calm and peaceful mind. Hey! There's the gold star. Was that you, Kevin? Maybe. 
<laughs> You're messing with a blind man now. It's not right. Right, that right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of feelings in and of themselves while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. I read it four times to make the point and emphasize Kevin's answer. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remain, remains mindful of thoughts in and of themselves, feelings in and of themselves, perceptions in and of themselves, mental fabrications in and of themselves, and consciousness in and of themselves. I'm paraphrasing what I've written here just to make the point that it relates to the five clinging aggregates and it relates to um, the importance of developing an impersonal relationship with ourselves and the world and, and the Dhamma. And I'm going to conclude this with right meditation. Right meditation is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has established seclusion from sensuality and unskillful mental qualities. The simple act of establishing seclusion from our moment-by-moment life, meaning it, I, I wake up, I do my business, and I go and I find my meditative place, and then I meditate. I've established a safe and secure place for my meditation, and I do it again about 12 hours later. That's what the Buddha is referring to here. Um, we, we remove ourselves first physically from a place that is prone to generating unskillful mental qualities which means it's not a good idea to meditate in front of the TV, in a large group, with music playing, thinking about something other than our breath or any other technique that we might develop. They enter and remain in the first jhana. The first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. Rapture is a rather archaic word, uh, and it doesn't mean the second coming, um, another application of the word rapture. It simply means to... Uh, and another word for rapture would be... Um, joyful engagement with what's occurring and that's that's the use of the term here we're joyfully engaged with the very seclusion that we've established by putting the world behind and sitting down on our cushion that's that's entering and remaining the first jhana and it is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation that simply means that i'm directing my thought back to my breath and I'm judging whether I'm doing that. It's not a long analytical evaluation. Am I doing this correctly? And the only answer is yes or no. Am I coming back to my breath or am I not? That's all. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the second jhana, which is the stifling of directed thought and evaluation. The second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of that concentration. So initially, I'm taking... Rapture. I'm developing rapture from just simply sitting in the establishing seclusion. And now I take a breath. And that joy of what I'm doing increases in that moment from the acknowledgement of now I'm developing concentration. It's simply a, a being mindful of what's occurring and having the appropriate feeling, no judgment attached to the feeling. And the, the feeling could be overemphasized by all kinds of thoughts, such as, oh, I can't believe I have to meditate for five minutes. Or I can't believe how wonderful I am that I'm doing the world's greatest meditation technique and I'm about to awaken. Simply come back to the sensation of breathing. Free of directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. So in that moment, when I let go of the need to, to direct my thought back to my breath, I'm just in my breath, that is the pleasant abiding of the second jhana. And for most of us, it's going to be very fleeting and we'll find ourselves caught back, caught up in our thoughts again. Take a breath, be mindful of our breath and unite our mind and our body. And furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the third jhana, which is the fading of rapture. It doesn't mean that we're going from a joyful engagement to now a disappointment. It simply means that that slightly fabricated experience is now falling away due to concentration. They remain equanimous. equanimous. Equanimous simply means a balanced state. We're not, we're not finding, finding high levels of bliss or deep levels of depression. It's just a, a well-concentrated and um, balanced way of, of thinking and being in the world. They remain equanimous, mindful, alert, sensitive to pleasure. It's an important line. Sensitive to pleasure simply means um, mindful of what's occurring but I'm not grasping after sensuality. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. And every one of us has had this experience during meditation. 
for some of us, it may not have lasted very long. It might not have lasted long enough to even notice. But that moment of common peace that every one of us has experienced in jhana meditation is the third jhana. And the reason why I'm pointing it out is the, re- the Buddha pointed out these four levels of jhana or meditative absorption for that sole reason, so that we recognize that our jhana practice, our meditation practice, is actually bearing fruit. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements de- depends on the fourth jhana, which, <coughs> excuse me, which is the abandoning of evaluation. They enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They are permeated in mind and body with, a pure, with pure bright awareness. The fourth jhana is, is a pleasant abiding. This is right med- meditation, and this is the noble truth of the Eightfold Path of Practice that leads directly to the cessation of stress. I'm going to end the, the suit today. There's more to it. Um, so, in this sutta, the Buddha is emphasizing again the, the importance of just authentic Dhamma practice. And now, as he concludes this, the importance of right meditation as an aspect of the entire Eightfold Path and how to recognize jhana meditation. But the important takeaway from this sutta, I think, uh, or one of the important ones, is just that, 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 this, that, that this Dhamma practice is entirely practical. It's about me developing what it means to be a human being right here and right now. And it's about nothing else. It's not about anything magical or mystical. It's entirely practical. I'm going to end my talk with that. And uh, we'll go online. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I can't see the names. I don't know how I'll do it. You're going to have to excuse me a little bit for bouncing around with the camera, but I got to... Alex, how are you? Hey. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Hi, Alex. Yeah, I'm good. Um, sorry to log on a little bit late. Uh, I forgot the time. We, well, we still haven't moved our clocks in the UK yet, so uh, still, yeah, a bit different to you. I'm glad you joined us, Alex. Um, not too much for me. Just um, thank you for reminding me of uh, what this is all about. Um, at the moment, I've got a lot. I've got a very busy mind. I'm, I'm moving house, and there's a lot going on. Um, and I guess it's hard to see. For me, anyway, it's hard to see what's right um, when when I get in, when I feel like I'm in that state of mind, and I've been meditating and um, thinking more. But until I engage with the teaching from someone like you, it's hard for me to, to see it. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and hearing you talk, I, I got um, I had a bit of perspective where I realised that what's kind of getting me down and confused at the moment is because I just want to be in the place I'm moving to. <laughs> and I think I realise that what I'm doing is I'm not accepting where I am. Yep. I'm, I'm, clinging, I'm clinging to what's where I'm going. That's right. And, and, that, and, and that alone causes stress, Alex. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, and, and where I am isn't um, great like because I'm moving out and it's... it's like there's stuff in boxes and it's just not great but I think I just need to sit with that and accept that and not wish for it to be anything else yes so and that's just come to me from listening to you talk so it's been I'm glad I logged on and I'm glad that you could um, help me just just work that out <laughs> so thank yeah. you uh, thank you, Alex. I mean, it, it's so important that you did log on because you just taught us all a, a very valuable Dhamma lesson. And it is just that. When we feel it, that we're caught up in the stress, and any time that I'm speculating about the future, thinking about them, and, and a, a move is a good example of that. It's always a stressful time for everyone, isn't it? Because our minds are always in the future, where we're going. Do we have all these detailed matters and all the rest of it? Rather than taking a breath, like you just described, uniting our mind and our body, and being present for what's occurring, meaning now I'm in the process of moving, but I'm, in, I'm right here right now doing what I need to do in preparation for that, rather than being stuck in my head about what I'm, where I'm going and I'm not present for what's occurring. That's where stress arises. So thank you, Alex. And I, I meant to mention, uh, again, there's a lot of folks online and four or five here. And, and so uh, please keep your, uh, your questions and comments to about two or three minutes so we can all get in. Um, Got to keep doing this, sorry.
Becky, good morning. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you, John. <clears throat> I have a, uh, I don't know what kind of question this is. I don't know if it's, a, if it's a dumb question or I don't know. But can you just say the title of the sutta that you just read? Oh, yes. It's the Sakavabhanga Sutta. It, it's linked in the email. Uh, actually, it's linked to the page where it is on the, on the email. But yes, that's the Sakavabhanga Sutta. It was linked in our last... Okay, then I must have looked at the wrong link. So, okay. Well, yeah, let me tell you... Let me explain, Becky. So, the, so the, link, the link in the email is to the Vipassana Structured Study page. And in that is, is a, a, a drop-down menu that has all the suttas in it. Right. So if you okay. if you go, I think it says something like structured study suttas or something like that. If you click on that, then you'll see all the suttas. I usually click on, and I got uh, number six, six and it, number seven, okay, yeah. well, I'll yeah. figure that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And from today's talk, I just want to say that, um, again, listening to you, uh, like Alex, everything back into focus. Ignorance is taking things personally. Yep. Regardless, regardless of what it is, it's taking it personally. It's deciding that you are important and this is happening to you. And when you can use use the Dharma to get yourself, you recognize that and you can use the Dharma to pull yourself back from that. It's an amazing tool to have with you every yeah. moment. Yeah. Even, even if it's a small thing. That's true self-empowering. It happens to me all the time throughout the day. I realize I'm, I'm doing this and I'm like, okay, wait, take a breath, go sit for a little while, relax. And it, it all, it all comes back to calmness and back to the realization that you have the you have the power to control what's happening to you and to your mind yep. and that is continues to be amazing thank you John <laughs> well said Becky yeah it, it, it's amazing that when we as we reclaim our own power. Our, our, you did, again, I, I mentioned while you were talking, I interrupted you, that th- this is truly self-empowering, isn't it? And yes. when I talk about when you integrate the Eightfold Path, uh, that's the, that brings the, the, uh, the power of freedom to you because you know you're good to go. You know you're not going to harm yourself or anyone else, which is the most debilitating thought that we have, whether people realize it or not. So thank you, Becky. I got to well, keep thank you. calling you all in because I can't see it. Brian, good morning. Good morning. Sorry, couldn't get off mute fast enough there. No, that, you were plenty quick. Uh, be quick, yes. No, I think you were, you were plenty quick. What's that? You were plenty quick with your microphone. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty consistent week, I think. Um, I've started to notice... Uh, just the the length of the the space in between thoughts interrupting the breath is starting to elongate. Ah, good. Um, and the the amount of time that I spend off into the other realms is starting to diminish. So, you know, being able to come back to the breath quicker, hold that in, you know, uh, uh, within the concentration longer has been it's been fantastic. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That it's outstanding that you recognize that. Brian is just uh, just now starting with the Truth of Happiness course, uh, and that that's significant. And just to notice that the, the the lengthening of time between thoughts is is really important. So I'm glad you joined us today, Brian. Uh, Jen, how are you? Good morning. Hi, Hi everybody. Good morning. Hello. Um, yeah. So Anatta is obsessed with having certain feeling thoughts. Uh, insights and also obsessed with not having certain feeling thoughts and insights yep. and so you know this the beginning of this sutta I feel like really 
gets to that, all of those details and, and just, it, it, you just can feel and hear the Buddha saying just, yeah, let that go, just let that go and you let this go and you let this go and you let this go. And, you know, anytime you're wanting anything, it's ego. It's not me, not mine, yep. not my, I am. That's it. That's all I got. Thanks, guys. Thank you, wise teacher. <laughs> Kevin, how are you? Kevin Hart. Doing well, doing well. Thank you for this talk, John. Um, a couple of things. I liked how you um, really presented this in a simple fashion. You explained, um, look, Saraputta is here to make the Dhamma plain, and, and you did a very good job. We're, we're here. To, he's making it plain that the problem is craving. We just described that. Everybody who's spoken before has described that. We crave for this self, this anatta to be established. We take the world and phenomenon personally. And Mogalana advises us to practice the Dhamma to its refinement or highest culmination, which, as we flushed out, was a calm and peaceful mind. Brian mentioned that. We, we become more calm. We have more time. We don't crave. We don't put ourselves into the world and establish it. So I really liked how thematically that was framed. You know, Saraputta says the problem is craving. And Mogalana says the way to notice that and refine your practice is to practice and, and put in right effort so you become familiar with the four states of jhana. So um, thank you for those gems today. Thank you for joining us, wise teacher. This place is filthy with wise teachers. <laughs> good morning, Mary. Uh, good morning, John. Thank you for this teaching. It's um, you know it's always good to come back to this, the simplicity of all of this and how we make it so complicated. Um, so it's good to be reminded of this, and uh, I'm just glad to be here. So thank you, and I'm really looking forward to the retreat. Me too. The feeling I had through today's conversation, I thought, wow, soon I'm going to feel that for whatever, three or four days, whatever, however long the retreat is. So yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Thank you. Three and a half days of, of pure bliss in a, that magical, yeah. mystical place of Juan Dormison. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Michael, how are you? Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Uh, John, uh, I'm just going to go with Noble Silence. I, I too read uh, 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 last class six uh, on the, uh, the the principles. Uh, I was going to say governing uh, government. Uh, oh my goodness, governing principles for uh, for uh, uh, the self, the world, and, and the Dhamma. So uh, I'm just going to go Noble Silence today. So well, I'm glad you joined us, Michael. Is Julia there next to you? Yes, she is. Hello, yeah. Julia. <laughs> Hello, hello, everybody. Good morning, John. Good morning. Um, I, too, am going to take noble silence because I also read the wrong sutta, although I'm familiar with this one, and, you know, but thank you, John, for the teaching. You're, you're welcome. Um, why, please, why do I ask a question? Why, how, how did you end up with the wrong sutta? What am I, what am I doing on my end that's not clear? Was that? John? Yes. I went, I went to the, uh, the newsletter and I clicked on the link in the newsletter for the Saturday class mm -hmm. and then I clicked on the link um, for the uh, study for the Saturday class and this is the sutta that came up. Um, you said this is class number six, so I went to the list of uh, yeah, yeah. number six, and the sutta that came up was. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I, yeah, yeah. That's why. Yeah, so now I know what I. But I, I didn't change the. Yeah. yeah. I know what I did wrong. Okay. I I'll, the emails that meet six, John. I think that's what. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'll. I'll. Thank you. That's why I asked. I'll. I'll be more clear with that. I don't pick up actually, everything that I used to. Says, so. uh, the Adi Adi sutta. All right, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna now, okay, so I'll, I'll I'll pay more attention to that and uh, hopefully be more more clear in the future. So, sorry about that, my friends. John. John. Yes. Um. So next next time, 
on Tuesday, will we be reading um, class eight or go back to class six? We'll be reading the, the class after the Sakavabhanga Sutta. That's this one, right? Okay, so class eight? Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and last, uh, well, you were here for last Tuesday's class anyway, so you heard it, right? Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining. Let's see where I'm at here. Mary. Sarah, how are you this morning? Out of time. I am still in the genre that falls asleep during the sutta. I'm <laughs> <laughs> still recovering from COVID, and but I will say that I that I am still exposing myself to it just by being here and catching whatever I did catch, and I'm good with that. So thank you. I'm glad you joined us today, Sarah. Just give me one second before I call on Steve. I think it's... Tom, is that you? Yes, that's me. Well, well I'm glad you joined us. We're just about finishing class, though, so uh, we're going to continue. Oh, no. I've, yeah, you're I've an hour... the time zone wrong again, haven't I? You're, I'm going to tell you, you're an hour off. Uh, Sorry about that. When do you guys change uh, your clocks? Alex, you should have reminded him. Yes, play it on Alex. Oh, when, <laughs> when do you? When do you? Uh, they change tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow, so, so all right. It won't happen again. All right, I'll uh, I'll I'll publish this talk later on today if you want to catch up with it. So, but we're just about uh, we're just about there. So I won't ask you what you think about today's class, Tom. I'll just, just say I'm it. Sure it was great. It's it was good. Great to, it was great it's good to see you, Steve. How are you? Oh, doing good. It's so awesome on advice, teacher. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, it's question or comments. Um, last time when I meditate, I have some uh, experience. Uh, I still uh, come back to my breast, I still come back to my breast, and breast become more settled, 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 and eventually it's like disappear at all. But uh, I still kind of like not feeling, but I know it's breathe out and it's in. And also, all my thoughts uh, can all uh, in very slow motion, just rising, possibly rising, possibly rising, kind of like, yeah, and it's, it's a pleasant feeling, but I don't know, it's actually a risk uh, share my experience. I don't know what it is. Uh, let me answer it kind of in a generic way. In, in jhana meditation, no matter what arises, no matter what gets our attention, we take a breath, come back, come back to our body. We don't, uh, we don't engage with the thought, with the concept. Even if it seems like it's some great, brilliant insight into the Dhamma, we take a breath. Because it is off our cushion that we integrate all these things that we're, we're learning about the Dhamma. It's on our cushion. This is an important thing I'm glad you brought up. On our cushion, our sole purpose in, in the Dhamma practice is for deepening concentration. Insight may arise, but it's not the point of jhana practice. Jhana practice is for deepening concentration. So, thank you, Steve. Wise teacher Ram. Uh, um, yeah, I don't think I can add anything to Sariputta's um, complete teaching here. Yeah. And it's... I just spent a little bit of time. <laughs> I, I picked up a book on uh, uh, all the uh, older versions of the Hinayana. And um, I was just staggered by how, in a couple of hundred years, this the whole Dharma basically disappeared. Yep. Because it was. It was nothing but like doctrinal fights yep. of uh, and, and, and how we fabricate things, yeah. even it, in the Dharma, how un- almost unstoppable that force is. It is. It is unstoppable. I can't stop it. We can't stop yeah, it. It's still we going can't on. Stop it. And then, and then we have the reality that we still have Sariputta's words here. 
uh, we still have the Buddhist words here. Yeah. Um, and um, the, those two things, it's like, it, that should, it should be impossible. Well, even that is important to note, though. It, it takes some work to get to the Buddha's words yeah. today. Uh-huh. It does, but it's available. Yep. You know, even if we don't work with, with, with your retranslations, you know, even if we just look at what is out there in, in just good modern translations, uh, with effort, with the right effort, we can still practice the Dharma as, as it was taught. Oh, yeah, I, I did. Right. Yeah. And, and we all and we all doing it here. Yep. Um, but the the, the sheer um, miraculousness of, of this, you know, this I, I, journey I, from twenty six hundred years, yeah. it, it, it it continues to surprise me. Yeah, me too. The more I understand it, it it's a uh, it's just one. Of, it, it is a remarkable, the most remarkable accomplishment in human evolution, I believe. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Because it teaches us what it means to have this human life. What could be more important? And and on top of that, how how completely revolutionary it was. Yeah. We just knocked and still is every other effort that we we've done to understand our human condition. He just knocked it out from from, yeah. from under its its feet and said, "No, this is what it is. Yeah. Here's, this here's where we are." Yeah, and, and he's his theories, if you will, uh, still upend every modern. Mm-hmm. loosely put, psychological view of the world as well. Yep. Every single one. I think about uh, Abraham Maslow. Some people have heard mm-hmm. of him. I used to yeah. read. You know, um, it, the guy was brilliant in what he figured out and the way he presented his view of the ego self. Mm-hmm. But his, his path, if you will, only promotes the continuation of an ego self. Yep. It doesn't bring any understanding. So, yeah. Thank, you. Thank you, my friend. Good morning, David. We spend our life carrying these aggregates, like a bundle. And this practice presents an opportunity every day to put them down, to understand them. And then the second opportunity that you have is the moment you die. And all these things we carried our whole life are gone. Yep. All these important values and beliefs and they're just gone so how valuable were they and Hmm. in our practice we just have to we have this practice presented to us and I always think of the hindrance of doubt and how we just have to be aware of how we want to embellish and tweak and again it's a daily opportunity on a moment by moment basis to put those aggregates to where they belong, yeah. in a place where of understanding. So, thank you. Thank you, David. That was really well put. And you're you're, re- you're referring it to the subtle aspects of the of the Dharma. Your your thinking is really what we're changing. It's not external occurrences. So, thank you. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, John. Um, thank you for this teaching. And um, as Ram said, it is a totally complete teaching. Um, and I just understand that, you know, these are the most important teachings or thoughts or anything that I have ever found in my life. Yeah, I agree. And I am so glad to have discovered and have you helped me discover these things and our Sangha discover these things. Mm-hmm. And I just will strive to integrate it into my life. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you for being a part of our Sangha all these years. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> to use uh, to borrow Kevin's term, uh, this was just a, a bushel of gems. <clears throat> uh, so much good stuff in there, um, especially the idea of the aggregates being something you carry around with you. Like, the, the way David put yeah. it was absolutely exquisite. I agree. Um, there's so much in here that I just really dug, but what I'm left with is this sense of the solidity and the reliability of the Four Noble Truths. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in a way, it's kind of and it's it's kind of underlined or for subtly emphasized, I guess, by the fact that Sariputta giving the teaching and not the Buddha, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just right. not to get attached to the idea of, of the Buddha as a person or some kind of thing that you have to put your faith in. It's the four noble truths that are solid yep. and reliable. That's right. That's and that's well what I'm said. Left with. And 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Adam, for saying that. And the Buddha would say the same thing. You know, this, he would say, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, this is what I teach. You know, and it really is two different things, although he embodied the Dhamma, but we all do. You know, we all, uh, it, it kind of relates to this teaching, doesn't it? That in order to experience the Four Noble Truths, you have to experience the Four Noble Truths. And then we have it. So, Thank you all. Uh, all right, we'll finish with Metta, as we always do. The Buddha's words on Metta. So find your relaxed meditation posture. Uh, gently close your eyes, gently close your mouth. And uh, just a reminder that the uh, reservations for our retreat are open. It's coming up uh, at the end of April. I think uh, April 22nd is our first day of retreat. So if you're going, now's the time to sign up. And these are the Buddha's words from Metta, from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. See you all. Thanks, everybody. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, John. See you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.